I read a quote this week by a man named Brennan Manning that I want to share with you because it so captured the essence of what we've been talking about here at Hope throughout the month of August. Here's what he said. The spirituality of wonder knows the world is charged with grace. That while sin and war, disease and death are terribly real, God's loving presence and power in our midst are even more real. How many of you this morning would testify that sin and death and disease and war and every other kind of difficulty under heaven, how many of you would give a testimony, yep, that's real. Let me see your hand. Yeah, amen. I mean, we can, all, we can all agree that there are difficult times. The reality of trials and tribulations, nobody is questioning a belief in difficult situations, right? We know they're real. Here's what Brennan Manning said. The reality of God, His presence, His love, and His power is even more real than the reality of the difficulty that we're in. That's why we can have faith in difficult situations. There's a man in the Old Testament. The Bible records for us his life and his story. A man named Daniel. And Daniel exemplifies that statement that I just read for you by Brennan Manning. He's a a man who knew difficult situations, and yet in the middle of that, he demonstrated the reality of the presence and the power of God in unbelievable ways. I mean, here we are as we continue our story in Daniel, where we find him today. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to read there in just a minute. But where we discover Daniel today... He's in his mid-80s, 83, 84, 85 years old, somewhere in that ballpark. Daniel was taken into captivity. The Babylonian Empire had taken over his people and enslaved them when Daniel was about 13 years old. Now for over 70 years... Daniel has faced one challenge after another, one difficulty after another. As you read the book of Daniel, Daniel's life in many ways is like a roller coaster. It's up and it's down. He's being promoted. He's being persecuted. He's being praised. And one minute and then he's trying to be put to death. I mean, his life is like this. And yet in the middle of that, Daniel maintains an unshakable faith. As I was reading This story again this morning, I just became convinced again about the reality of Daniel's faith in God and saw something this morning that, to be honest, I hadn't really thought of is we in America are living in the days that we're living in. There's much we can learn from the life of Daniel. You see, Daniel and his friends were the spiritual minority. For a long time in America, those of us who have professed a faith in Christianity, a faith in God, and walked as Christians, we have enjoyed being in our country in many ways in the spiritual majority. 
But we are now moving into a season in our country where as followers of Christ, people that are devoted to follow Jesus and his word, we now find ourselves becoming the spiritual minority. That's who Daniel was. He lived in a culture that had a different set of values. They had a different set of convictions. They brought different presuppositional truths to the table. They ordered their lives around a different set of priorities. And in many ways, that's exactly where we find ourselves today. If you're choosing to live a life devoted to Jesus Christ in the culture of the world that we live in today, we are in the spiritual minority. But Daniel here gives us inspiration and hope hope that even in the midst of being the spiritual minority, these are not days to to shrink back. These are not days to be worried. These are not days to just wring our hands and pull out our hair. Daniel says, no, we can live in victorious, unshakable faith, even in the midst of difficult situations and circumstances. Daniel chapter 6, we pick up the story in verse 3. Let me tell you what's going on. Daniel is at another mountaintop in his life. The king, he's now on his fourth king that Daniel has served with, King Darius, who now rules over an empire called the Medo-Persian Empire that has taken over the Babylonian Empire. Daniel, still in captivity, has once again been elevated. And the king decides he's going to put three men over all the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And everything will happen under the authority of these three men. Well, guess who one of the three men is? It's Daniel. Daniel and two other men are going to be the top three guys in all of the land. So pick it up in verse 3. Then this Daniel began to distinguish himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. You hear what's happening here? Daniel was one of three in charge of everything, and Daniel began to be noticed above those, and now it's going to be the king, then Daniel, then everybody else. But there's an important phrase in verse 3 that we need to pay attention to before we read any further. It said there was an extraordinary spirit in Daniel. The word extraordinary in the Hebrew is a word that means to stand out. Here's what the text is telling us. There was something, or we know, someone in Daniel that caused Daniel to stand out among his contemporaries. In the good times and in the difficult times, Daniel was filled with the Spirit of God. Now, if I were to close my notes in the Bible right now, we all go home. There's enough sermon in what I just said to keep us all thinking about it for a while. Did you hear what it said? God in Daniel caused Daniel's life to be noticed. At your workplace, do people look at the way that you live your life And so see God in you that they say, wait wait a minute, there's something different about that guy. There's, There's something unique about that young lady. 
Do people so see Christ in you? This doesn't say just because of some things Daniel did, he stood out. No, this says because of an extraordinary spirit that was in him, the spirit of God in Daniel caused him to stand out among his contemporaries. And as we continue reading this text, what we're going to look for are some tangible expressions of what made Daniel stand out as the overflow of the Spirit of God in him. And then what I'm going to do in the message today is I want to give you some some, some handles about a life that honors God in difficult times. So let's pick it back up in verse number 4. It says, Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs. You hear what's going on here, right? Because Daniel was a man so full of God and his life began to be distinguished, the people around him hated him for it. They didn't like it at all. Look what it says. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was, say it out loud, faithful. And no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Wow. What a strong statement. Verse 5. Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against him in regard to the law of his God. You realize what that said? Could that be said of us? You hear what they just said about Daniel? The only way we're going to get Daniel, we've got to find something in his worship of God because there's nothing else in Daniel's life that's going to give us any opportunity. Wow. Verse 7. Excuse me, verse 6. Then the commissioners, the satraps, came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. They're buttering him up good, right? Verse 7. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together. That's a nice way of saying we're rotten to the core and we've come up with a plan to get at Daniel. That the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction so that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. They'd read their history. They'd given up that idea of the fiery furnace, right? They didn't want to have that experience verse 8 now O king establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which may not be revoked verse 9 therefore King Darius signed the document that is the injunction now when Daniel knew that the document was signed he entered his house now in his roof chamber he had his windows open toward Jerusalem and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day praying and giving thanks before his God. Notice he didn't go into his room and open the windows. Daniel wasn't trying to put on a show. Daniel wasn't trying to rub it in their face. The Bible says he went into his upper room and the windows were already open. Daniel's just doing what he does. Sometimes as Christians, we get our picket signs and our banners trying to put it in the face of the world. That's not what Daniel did. Daniel did what he just normally does. Look what it says continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition as if they weren't watching for this moment, right? 
Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign? They ran. They, they saw Daniel. They said, now's our chance. They ran to the king and said, king, uh, let, let me remind you of what you signed yesterday. Didn't you sign a, an injunction that, uh, let me think, King, you got to remind me. I'm not real fresh about it. Did, didn't you sign an injunction that anybody who makes a petition to any God or man besides you for 30 days is to be cast in the lion's den? The king replied, that statement's true. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which we may have revoked. Verse 13. Then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel. I can, you can just hear the detestable tone of their voice. Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah. Now think about that. Seventy years now he's been in this empire, and he's still carrying around that label. Seventy years later, the old exile pays no attention to you, O king, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. Daniel had so impacted this wicked king's heart, it tore him up. It says, and even until sunset, he kept in, uh, exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that this is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. And the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, I love this, Your God, whom you serve, whom you constantly serve, will deliver you. I noticed this this morning. It was this morning when I finally I saw this in the text. I'd read it so many times and missed this. But notice here, remember in Daniel chapter 3 when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before the king about to be thrown into the fiery furnace and they were standing there being accused and the three young men said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Well, fast forward now to chapter 6. The testimony and the reputation and the character of Daniel is so great. It's now not Daniel saying, my God. It's the wicked king that doesn't even know God. He so had seen God in Daniel's life. He said, your God, whom you constantly serve, is able to deliver you. Verse number 18, 17. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting. And no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. And then the king arose at dawn, and at the break of day, and he went in haste. He ran to the lion's den, and when he'd come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they've not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Verse 23, then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel. And they cast them, their children, and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. You'd think these people would learn, don't mess with Daniel. 
Verse 25. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lion. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Daniel and the lion's den. Now, I want to draw for you some principles about what it looks like to live a life that honors God in the midst of difficult circumstances. Here's the first one. A life of integrity. The first practical application is a life of integrity. Because Daniel was full of the Spirit of God, he lived a life of integrity. Listen to this verse again, verse 4. But they could find no accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful. That that phrase, ground of accusation, literally in the Hebrew text, it means a legitimate reason for pointing a finger of blame. They laid Daniel's life open and they looked for something that they could grab a hold of, something that they could point their finger out and say, look, this is where Daniel's character is not consistent with what comes out of his mouth. And I want you to know something. They were digging deep. The Bible says they were trying to find something. That phrase, trying to find, in the Hebrew language means to dig up that which is hidden. They weren't just casually observing Daniel. They were getting in his business is what they were really doing. If we were translating this today in a very contemporary way, we'd say these guys got in Daniel's personal business. If this was today, here's what they would have done. First, they would have gone and interviewed all of Daniel's co-workers and asked some questions about his character and his integrity. Second, they would have probably pulled all of his emails and read through his emails. Then they'd gone to his internet browser history and scrolled through his internet browser history to see what they could find. Then they would get his cell phone and look at his texting conversations. They might even go to his house and get into his Netflix and look at his recently viewed list, right? Why? Because they're digging in his life to find something in his character that's not consistent with the character of the God he professes to serve. Ooh, that's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? Think about somebody digging in on you that way. And the Bible says, when they looked at all of that, they said Daniel was faithful. Now, it's not that they found Daniel to be perfect, all right? None of us are perfect. But here's what they found. The character of his life was consistent with the God that he served. The pattern of his life was a pattern 
of integrity. Now let me ask you a question. I don't want you to answer out loud. Could that be said of you today? If somebody turned their guns on you and started digging in your business, could it be said of you One person said, the Christian you are is the Christian you are alone. That's integrity. And it's the same concept that Paul wrote to us in the New Testament as Christians as to how we're to live. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 on the screen. It says, do, what does it say next? All things. Say that out loud. All things. You know what all things means, right? All things, right? It means the big and the small, the public and the private, the times when people are watching and the times when people are paying no attention at all. Paul says to Christians, you and I, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless. That's a word that means without the ability to point a finger. You'll be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. That's a word that means there's nothing they can grab a hold of and accuse you with. There's no stick in your life that they can take and swing at you. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Here's what he's saying. Not that we're to be perfect, but that the way we live our lives is the platform that authenticates the gospel that we proclaim with our mouths. Often, often, as Christians, and I'm talking to us, all right? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to us. Christians, the best thing some of us could do at the workplace or at school is close our mouths. If the life that we live doesn't reflect the character of the God that we serve. Our co-workers and classmates and neighbors and friends could care less about what comes out of our mouths. Daniel was a man of integrity. Let me give you just, I'm not going to really go into these, but I want to give you these four thoughts about integrity for you to kind of think on later on. I'm going to put them up on the screen, and I want us to, to look over them and read them together. You ready? Number one integrity, read it with me, integrity is a reflection of the character of God. God is faithful. And so integrity is a reflection of his character. Number two, integrity is the outflow of the spirit of God in us. Integrity is simply God's life being manifest in our lives. Number three, integrity means that small things matter. Number four, Integrity can feel lonely. When Daniel was standing in front of those pointing the finger and in front of the king and all the nation watching, I promise you it felt a little bit lonely. Sometimes integrity can feel lonely. A life that honors God in difficult circumstances, first of all, is a life of integrity. Number two, it's a life of submission to authority. It's a life of submission to authority. Let me say it another way. 
Daniel trusted God. Let me ask you a question. Do you trust God? If you trust God, say amen. Amen. I mean, I think most of us would say, I trust God. Let me ask you a question. Are you worried? Did you know worry is a lack of trust in the power of God? Worry is a lack of trust in God's power. Are you frustrated about some situations and circumstances in your life. Maybe things are not turning out just like you hope, and and you're getting kind of frustrated with that. If you're frustrated, frustration is a lack of trust in God's plan for you. Maybe you're past frustrated. Are you angry? I mean, if we're going to be real honest this morning, and I I know we're in church, so that's going to be tough for some of us, but but if, if we're going to be real honest today, just take the mask off. We all have some times in our life when things aren't going just the way we think they should. And if we let that fester long enough, we can become angry with God. We can begin to get mad at God. Did you know that anger at God is simply a lack of trust in God's love? You see, here's what God's love says. God's love says the situation that I'm in, even though it may be uncomfortable and difficult, God says I love you enough that I want you in that situation because there's some things about me I want you to learn and you could never learn them apart from this situation or circumstance in your life. Daniel trusted God. This trust that Daniel had for God is evidenced in his submission to God's authority. I mean, think about it. 70 years in captivity? If I go seven minutes in a difficult situation, if I go seven days in a difficult situation, I'm struggling, right? 70 years? He came into this situation when he was 13. Now he's 84, 85 years old. And the 70 years were filled with three different pagan kings, persecution, dreams, fiery furnaces, hands riding on the wall. And now here we find Daniel in his 80s. And you'd almost expect Daniel to be standing there and go, Seriously, God? You have got to be kidding me. And yet Daniel just trusts God. You know where I was a year ago this week? A year ago this week, I was standing right outside those doors in water just up above my kneecaps. A year ago this week, our church that we'd moved into in March of last year, after... 11 years of meeting in eight or nine different locations, acting like the children of Israel wandering around the desert. (laughs) After 11 years, we finally had a home, and we moved in in March and had a great celebration. And in August, it hadn't been six months, the whole campus is flooded underwater. Where you're sitting right now is underwater. And I got to be honest with you. There was a moment (laughs) where I said, seriously, you have got to be kidding me. 
me tell you what I came to understand real quick. If you live in a desert and you are in the middle of a flood, God is doing something. You can't manufacture that. Six weeks later, over 200 people had trusted Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior in our services. We had the highest recorded month of attendance we'd ever had in the history of our church. So many people saw it on the news. They started coming and visiting our services. Some of you are in our church today because your first exposure to Hope Church was watching this pastor underwater on the news. On, for five nights in a row, we were on the news. And people came, and 200 of them trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And now here we are one year later where we had close to a million dollars in damages and loss of property. And a year later, 95% of that has all been restored and taken care of because God's given us favor with contractors and construction personnel. Listen, God has a plan. And listen to me. His plan's better than my plan. And we can trust Him. Now, that doesn't mean it's always looking the way we think it ought to look. But when we're living a life that honors Him... We submit to His sovereignty to say, Lord, you bring the sun and you bring the rain. So I can trust your presence in the midst of both. But Daniel, not only do we see this idea of his trust and submission to to God's authority, Daniel so trusted God, and this is where it's going to get uncomfortable for some of us, he submitted to earthly authority. You see, because Daniel's deep trust in God and submission to God was so great, he could also submit to those in authority over him. Do you read this story and hear Daniel's submissive heart towards his king? And you do realize this is the fourth of the pagan kings that have persecuted his friends. They've they've tried to stamp out their faith. They've tried to end Daniel's life. All of these things have happened over and over and over again. And yet here Daniel is in submission to this king. Now, there came a point where this king required of Daniel something that was in violation of his submission to God. And at that point, we have a higher authorities to submit to than our governing authorities and that's God himself and Daniel submitted to God over the authority of his king but listen even in that Daniel didn't do it to make a show even in that Daniel didn't wag his finger in the face of the king Daniel in incredible humility understood what Romans chapter 13 tells us Romans 13 says there is no authority except from God here's what Daniel understood He understood that submission to earthly authority isn't really about trusting men as much as it's about trusting God. How does that sit with you? You're going to go to work tomorrow. You got a boss? Well, my boss, you you don't know my boss. He's a hard man. Is he throwing Christians into fiery furnaces and lion's dens? That's pretty hard, dude. When Paul wrote that in the book of Romans in the New Testament, he wrote that principle of submission to, to, to authority 
when Nero was in ruling authority over Rome. You remember who Nero was, right? If you've read the history books, he was not a friend of Christians. He burned them at the stake and threw them to the lions in the great cathedrals of Rome. You see, Daniel understood that God is in control. And although that person, that boss, that teacher, even that mom or dad, they may not be everything God wants them to be, but here's what you can rest assured. God wants to use them in your life as an authority to teach you some things about His character that you could not glean any other way. Clyde Cranford, my mentor, said this about this principle. Look at it on the screen. The greatest proof of your spiritual maturity will be your reaction to authority. That one's a little tough to swallow, right? Take that one with you to work tomorrow. Oh, my walk with God is great. My, my love for Jesus is great. But you want a real metric? Here's a metric. How's your submission to the authority in your life? What does that look like? Daniel lived a life that honored God in difficult times, which meant submission to authority. Let me give you the third and final principle. We'll close with this. Consistency. A life that honors God in the midst of difficult times is a life of integrity. It's a life of submission to authority, and it's a life of consistency. In verse 16 and in verse 20, the Bible says this of Daniel, and it's the king both times. He says, your God, whom you constantly serve, will deliver you. Your God, whom you constantly serve. That that, that phrase could be translated, whom you worship constantly with your life. Daniel's life was like this. There was a roller coaster of experiences, some great mountaintops when he's put in authority, some great valleys when he's thrown into lion's dens. His life was like this. But let me tell you what, his faith and his walk with God, it was like this. In the good and in the bad, there was a consistency. Craig Rochelle is a pastor in Oklahoma, a great pastor in Oklahoma, and he, I heard him speak this week at a meeting I was at, and, and, and he said this, and I wrote it down. Here's what he said. A God-honoring life is not made with a few decisions in difficult times. A God-honoring life is made with hundreds of decisions in normal times. You see, what defined Daniel's faith was not three instances where he was put up on a platform. What had defined his faith was the hundreds of opportunities he's had to just live before God in his life. It were those moments that prepared him for those defining moments. And one of the ways we see Daniel's incredible consistency is in his fellowship with God. I want to put verse 10 back up on the screen. I want to read it for you. Listen to what it says. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously I wrote this down fellowship with God was not a part of Daniel's life fellowship with God was Daniel's life 
Daniel lived his life out of the overflow of intimate fellowship with God. For Daniel, following God was not just a compartment in his life. For Daniel, his pursuit of God was everything in his life. A lot of people, Christians today, have the mentality that following Jesus, you know, I've I've begun a relationship with Christ, and now I'm to go live for God. I'm to try to live the Christian life. Listen, nothing could be further from the truth. The goal is not to live for Him. The goal is the relationship, and everything God desires to do through your life, He does out of the overflow of His intimate fellowship with you. As you and I pursue God daily in fellowship, the relationship is the goal and then God manifests his life in and through us. Daniel was a man of integrity. Daniel was a man of submission to authority, but it was his consistency to be with God that was the source of everything else in his life. You see, Daniel wasn't just a good person. Daniel was godly. The very life of God was being manifested through Daniel out of the overflow of his fellowship relationship with God. And I want to close by just giving you quickly four things that we notice about Daniel's fellowship with God that I hope are some tangible handles for you as you leave today. Here's the first one. It was proactive and not reactive. Daniel didn't wait for a bad situation to run to God. The Bible says it, would, it was as he had been doing previously. This was the way Daniel lived his life. If there had been no lion's den, if there had been no decree, Daniel was still going that day to spend time with God. For a lot of us, we have what I like to call 911 faith, right? You know what 911 is. I looked it up this week on the internet. Here's what the internet defines 911. Here's the way it says it this number is intended for use in emergency circumstances only, and to use it for any other purpose can be a crime. That describes a lot of people's relationship with God. This number is to be used in emergency situations only. And as soon as a crisis comes, as soon as a difficulty comes, as soon as a dark situation comes into our lives, we try to run to God and hear from God. And yet, Daniel, we don't find him responding to some crisis. This was the routine and pattern of his life. Let me put two definitions up on the screen. I want to put the word proactive and the word reactive. Read this first definition with me. Read it out loud. One, two, three. Proactive. Acting in anticipation of future problems, needs, or changes. That's proactive. Now let's read reactive. One, two, three. Acting in response to current problems, needs, or changes. Now here's the question I want you to wrestle with. Which of those two statements best describes your fellowship relationship with God? Is your fellowship relationship with God acting in anticipation? of future problems, changes, or needs? Or is your fellowship with God always reacting to current problems, needs, and changes? It was proactive, not reactive. Number two, it was scheduled, not random. It was scheduled, not random. The Bible says three times a day 
was the way David or the way Daniel did this. You see, Daniel didn't have the attitude, well, I'll see what tomorrow's like if I have time to fellowship with God. Daniel had the attitude, I'm going to order tomorrow around time alone with God. What's your attitude about time alone with God? Well, I, I spend time with God when I have time or when the schedule allows or when things don't get too busy or do you order everything else around devotional time, fellowship with God? Here's the reality. What we value gets priority in our schedule. I'm going to say that again. What we value gets priority time in our schedule. Daniel valued time alone with God. Clyde Cranford said it this way, For centuries, those who have truly sought to know God intimately have found it imperative to set aside some time in each day to focus their attention and affection on Him. I want to be real transparent with you for a minute. I became a Christian almost 25 years ago. For 23 of those years, I have been serving the Lord full-time, vocationally as a pastor, preaching, leading, teaching others for 23 years. 25 years Christian, 23 years as a pastor. In those 25 years of following Jesus, let me tell you what I've learned. My ability to walk today faithfully in integrity, submission to authority, and in godly character. My ability to do that today rises and falls based on my time alone with the Father. Let me tell you what I've learned after 25 years. 25 years of walking with Jesus, here's what I know. Apart from Jesus Christ, I am capable of any sin under heaven. If you are living today with a delusion that the longer you walk with Jesus, the easier it becomes to overcome your flesh and you don't need some things. Listen, no, no, no. There's darkness in my heart today that I understand that I didn't even know existed 25 years ago. I need Jesus more today than I've ever needed him. I need to be alone with God. I spent last night some time praying through this message. This morning, I spent some time praying through this message. Why do I do that? Because it's what you're supposed to do as a pastor. You're supposed to preach before you, or pray before you preach, right? Now, let me tell you why I did that. Because I'm hopeless standing up here before you apart from Christ in me. I don't have anything of value to offer you but Christ in me. The only hope that I have today of success is an extraordinary spirit, someone within me working through me for his glory and honor. Daniel knew the value of scheduling time. Here's the third one. It was desperate, not demanding. His fellowship with God was desperate, not demanding. You say, what do you mean by that? Look what it says here. It says, he continued kneeling on his knees. Now, we know that there is no one posture of prayer. 
Sometimes we're reading the Bible, people are on their knees, sometimes they're standing up, sometimes their eyes are open, sometimes their eyes are closed, sometimes their hands are up, sometimes their hands are down, sometimes they're sitting, sometimes they're standing, all kinds of ways you can pray. But let me tell you what this particular posture tells me about Daniel's heart. Daniel was desperate for God. You see, Daniel could have acted the way I do sometimes. You see, sometimes I demand. Sometimes I can have an attitude. I'm sure you never have this. But sometimes I can have an attitude like God owes me something. Because of my faithfulness or because of my sacrifice or because of my service. Sometimes I would never say that out of my mouth like that. But when stuff happens in my life, sometimes, sometimes, I'm just being honest about me. I think, well, Lord, hadn't you seen that other pastor? I mean, I think you've given me his circumstances because I've watched him and he ain't near the guy I am, you know. Now, we never say that out of our mouth, but when stuff comes into our life, sometimes we start looking at it like God's given us somebody else's order, right? Uh, could you take this back, please? I I'm waiting on my food. Bring me the one I order. Look what Daniel did. Daniel, the Bible tells us, just got down on his knees. And I don't know how the words went, but I got a feeling it's something like this. God, 70 years ago, when I was just a young boy, 70 years ago, you brought me here. And God, for 70 years, I've trusted you. And Lord, there's a really bad situation right now. But God, I still trust you. Lord, there's nothing I can do to get myself out of this. God, I'm desperate for you. His fellowship with God was desperate, not demanding. And then fourth and finally, it was expectant and not worried. The word expectant, I looked it up in the dictionary this week. Expectant means having or showing an excited feeling that something is about to happen. That's a good word. Amen? Expectant. I, I, I'm excited because I know something's about to happen. That's exactly. Daniel's on his knees. He's desperate for God. But at the same time, he's pumped up. You know why? Because for 70 years, he's seen God do things. He's seen God provide. He knows. You say, where do you see that in these verses? Look at it. Verse 10. It says, Daniel continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying, and, what does it say? Giving thanks. What in the world did Daniel have to be thankful for? He was about to be thrown into a lion's den. And you see Daniel down here on his knees, desperately crying out to God. And then there's a shift where Daniel says, oh, God. 
God, I thank you because of what you are going. Lord, I don't know how it's going to happen. Lord, I don't know what the end of the story is. But God, I know right now I'm sitting on the brink of a testimony. On the other side of this, God, there's going to be a story that I get to tell for your glory. Listen, this phrase, this phrase, giving thanks, is only used two places in all the Bible. One of them, or both of them, are here in the book of Daniel. The first time it's used, it's used in chapter 2 when Daniel was giving thanks for prayer that God had answered. You know what Daniel's down there doing? He's praying, thanking God for the answer he don't even have yet. But he knows it's going to come. Why? Because he knows God is faithful. Now, it may not look just like Daniel wanted it to look, but Daniel was expectant. And listen, you and I, we can go to God today with the same expectancy. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You and I, because of Jesus, we can have confidence to go into the very presence of God and receive mercy and grace in the midst of difficult circumstances. So that's what it looks like to live a life that honors God in difficult circumstances. Integrity, submission to authority, and consistency in my fellowship with God. But I I can't leave you today without telling you this last thing. A life that honors God in difficult times is a life that God honors let me say that again a life that honors God in difficult times is a life that God honors did you hear the last half of the chapter God protected Daniel God promoted Daniel the Bible says that he enjoyed success in all the reign of Darius and not only that here we sit several thousand years after this moment in Daniel's life and today we're being inspired we're being encouraged because God is still using Daniel for his glory thousands of years after he walked on planet earth a life that honors God in difficult times listen to let me tell you something that's a life that God's going to honor God will bless and honor when we demonstrate faith in difficult time.